The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We're going to do something a little bit different right now. Um, first service we read a lot. This service, I want us to read one verse. So if we can get verse 9 put up on the board, and, and as he's doing that, I'll explain where we're going. In the month of February, we did what was called a sermon series called Savvy Faith, how to share your faith in an intelligent and winsome way. And then in March, we did something like Silas, which is um, how to stand strong in the hard times. And now in April, we're doing a series called Action Jackson. Now, did, did you catch the key things here? Like, I've got children. They're named Savannah, Savvy Faith. Something like Silas, uh, because Silas, and then Action Jackson, and then I have a new kid on the way, Bella. Um, uh, she just doesn't get her own sermon series. So, oh wait, oh you know what? I, I just threaten people when they these musicians. I say if it's buzzing, I just start kicking instruments down. There it goes. It left. That was in Jesus' name. He's one of the few people that I trust coming up here. Sometimes people come up on stage, and I'm like, I don't know you. You should be careful because we're in Florida, and. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, Action Jackson. Jackson means God has been gracious. So Action Jackson this month, and really it's going to be longer than a month, is, um, is how to walk in God's grace. This is what we are um, going to be trying to explore through the book of 1 John. And instead of just doing a topical, we are going to press through the book of 1 John in its entirety. Uh, so we're going to read this verse, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. So I'm going to say one, two, actually I'll, I'll count backwards, three, two, one, and then we're going to start with the word if. So does someone just say if? Okay, and I know you can all say that word, so we're not going to get the rest of it wrong. And I'm going to say the first couple words, and you just keep speaking out just this verse on the screen behind you. Three, two, one. If we confess... I told the first service, I said, if you don't know what one of these church words mean, just say squirrel. And there was some middle schooler right over here, the first service. He was like, squirrel, 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 the whole Bible reading time. But it's something where we don't think about these words. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray and we will jump into this morning's text. Father, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. Lord, I pray that you would change someone's life this morning. I pray that as in the first service, um, people found hope and light. I pray that this service, people would be compelled to see you more clearly, that people would be uh, enraptured and loved by you and fall deeper in love with you. I pray that we would understand what it means to be a child of the light and not a child of the darkness. And, and I ask that you would meet people in the midst of pain right now, that you would bring healing to those who are sick, that you would restore relationships that are broken, and that you would do it through uh, this text and the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. amen. So First John written by, I um, believe to be the Apostle John. So everyone say John. 
If you were in your own Bibles, you will notice that there is a John without a number before it. That's the Gospel of John. And then toward the end of your Bible, just right before Revelation and Jude, there's three letters. First John, it's one John, second John, and third John. You could read first John in the time that it takes you to watch a sitcom, and it would benefit your life greatly. Now, John, in the letter of first John, where we're going to be camping out through Action Jackson, walking in God's grace, he does two things. He he gives an introduction, the first four verses, and then he's got a conclusion, the last four verses. And in the middle of John, these five chapters, he takes the two themes, one of God's light, God is light, and the second theme, God is love, and then he amplifies them. And he helps you to look at those concepts of who God is from different angles. So we are beginning in the first chapter, which is God is light. And it's important that we get this, because if we get this wrong, if we don't look at it from every angle, um, we might be jumping into a Christianity that we don't fully understand. Um, I've been car shopping recently because of the baby that not I'm giving birth to, but my wife is giving birth to. I mean, I feel pregnant sometimes, but it's not me. Um, we're car shopping. In car shopping, I, I hate it. It's, it's so dreadful to car shop. Some people love it. They're like, oh, car shopping. I love the haggle. I love to look at all these things. This is what car shopping is for me. Um, we need an extra seat. Otherwise, we have to duct tape one of our kids to the grill of a car we have. Uh, so we go to a car, and I sit in the front seat, and I'm stretched out. And then I go to the next seat, and I'm a can of tuna. And then I go to the third seat, because we need one of these three-row cars now. And I support my cheeks with my knees. Okay, this is what we're doing. And, um, and we looked at so many cars. And I tried to tell my wife, I'm like, babe, we just, here's our budget. Here's reality. The word that stands crystal clear to me with our budget and reality of what cars are made is this word, minivan. Now, some of you already know, like you feel this pain that my wife felt. I don't know. Everyone that I've talked to loves their minivan, but everyone says they had to get over the hump of not wanting a minivan. And, um, and, and when you make your wife cry in a courtesy Jeep, Dodge, and Chrysler, you know you're, there's a fail as a husband. Because I'm like, minivan would be a great idea. We get these TVs. They got like whatever, footrest, tri-zone climate. I don't even know what that means, but it's a mini and it's a van. You have sliding doors. It's like a transformer. Boop, 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 boop. Just, just silent tears of desperation going down her cheeks. So we keep praying, and I don't mess with my wife anymore when she wants a new car because God answers her prayers, um, and it terrifies me because um, we ended up in all these looking around and me trying to say, like, minivan, minivan, minivan. She's like, Sequoia, Suburban, and, and I, we have these families. They were here all in the first service, which was a riot to me. They have these buses that they call vans. They're like these Nissan school buses. They just paint them silver and black. We had three of them in the parking lot first service. With, with now what looks like we're going to be getting a sequoia that we got like a great deal on a used sequoia, maybe on Monday if the Lord wills it, and the number of people in here who drive Suburbans, just this church alone is killing the earth, you guys. Just us. We're destroying the earth with our SUV nine miles to the gallon, but I've never paid so much attention to something from different angles in my life as I have with this. Because now it's not just car shopping to say, what, what do I like? It's how is a kid going to get out of here? Today, in the next weeks, we need to have the same mentality. Like you're going to put a big investment on something that's going to shape the forward trajectory of your life. Now, granted, we should have got a minivan in Jesus' name. We probably are not. 
But if you don't with your spirituality, take it with as much care and observation and dedication as you would choose a car, I think we're doing this wrong. Because John has a message for us. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, just like he starts in his gospel, talking about the beginning, which we have heard, so John heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. John and the apostles got to see Jesus, touch Jesus, hear Jesus, walk with Jesus. It wasn't just a spiritual reality. There was a person. It was God embodied. It says concerning the word of life, verse 2, the life, this is Jesus, was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and proclaim to you, those who have not seen heard, touched Jesus, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us. Everyone say fellowship. I'm going to teach you a Greek word because churches use it. Everyone say koinonia. Koinonia is that word for fellowship. It doesn't just mean hanging out. It means interwoven together. It means sharing your life with someone else. And the Apostle John wants us to have fellowship with them because their fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. And then verse 4, we are writing these things that he's about to tell us so that our joy may be complete. Now, don't put yourself as the writer. John's saying this, that he's sharing this so that our, his joy, him and the Apostle's joy can be complete. The way to complete a joy in something is to share whatever it is that you find joy in. Have you guys noticed that? Um, so I can give you a couple examples. Um, anybody have, anyone have a vegan friend? Vegan friend? Isn't it crazy how much vegan friends post on social media how much they love veganism? Or does anyone have a friend that loves bacon, obsessed with bacon? If you don't, then you're not my friend. Um, be my friend. And I, I love it. I, I get bacon things posted or sent to me on a weekly basis because I, I love bacon. I like the way it crackles and crisps. And then I like the way that I can have bacon that's a little bit softer or bacon that's crispy. I do bacon every single way. And I share bacon because it gives me joy to talk about what I love. The reason I talk about my kids, the reason I talk about my wife, the reason I talk about bacon is because I love all of them, I think, in that order. Why kids? No, wife, kids, Jesus. Okay, anyway. Uh, we, we talk about what we love. So one of the ways, as we talk about today, what does it mean to know God as light? What does it mean to have a relationship with God? A very quick litmus test, a test to see where your heart is, is do you talk about what you love? Because right now, let's just be honest, in this room, there's maybe 1% of us that are still tracking with our New Year's resolutions. Are, we, are you on the same page with me? There literally may be one person, and I could... I could touch her right here. She's, that's, she's got it because I've seen her posts. Although you did go to In-N-Out. Anyway, that's a separate story. Okay. Um, We're going to talk about something I love. I love a place called In-N-Out Burger. I got a text from a dear, dear friend of mine who will remain unnamed. That she was right next to an In-N-Out Burger in Texas and said, what do I get? I gave her everything to buy at In-N-Out. And now she's telling me she didn't go. For my joy to be complete, you need to go eat in and out and come back and tell me how great it was. Okay, but you get your tracking with me. But here's the message. Here's why he's writing, because he wants their joy to be complete. And for your joy in Jesus to be complete, part of that process is falling in love with God to the point where you want to share the good news about what God has done in your life through Jesus. And this is the message. Verse 5. 
the message that we have heard from him and we now proclaim to you is that God is light. Everyone say, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. How much darkness? None. Okay, no darkness. If we say, verse 6, we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's a hard verse right there. If we say we are connected with God, fellowshipping with God, koinonia with God, we let him in, he lets us into this beautiful eternal relationship. If we say we have that, but we walk in darkness, we are lying and do not practice truth. Light, light is an amazing thing. Um, it helps you see where you ought to go. I, um, there's things that I, I don't like. And I don't let my kids say the word hate, but they're not here today. Um, so there are a few things I hate in life in general. Um, some things I just don't understand. Like I may not hate turkey bacon. I might hate turkey bacon. I just don't get it. It's like right here. And then there's some other things that I really hate. I hate like sin that breaks relationships. And then there's, there's things that I just at the top of my utter hatred and disdain, I abhor, I am furious at clear Legos. Are you tracking? Clear, you know what I'm talking about, right? Clear Legos. These are Legos that have been possessed by a demonic power. These are Legos that sit in silence in the night. Legos that will teach your feet the painful reality of hatred. I think, um, in Fishhawk, I love that it's, there's these guys that go around and they clean up all the litter. I think there's a being in my home that goes around after I'm in bed, and they, they go around my house just like the Fishhawk people clean up the litter. I think there's people that sprinkle Legos up and down my hallways. Like, where's the shortest track from dad's side of the bed to the bathroom? We're going to put Legos there. And, um, and when it's dark, you don't know where these pitfalls are. When it's dark, you walk tiptoeing um, because if, if you're in my station of life right now, I've got three children who are out of the womb, and I've got one child in a womb who is um, trying to do some trapeze act with my wife's bladder, so I don't want to wake anybody up because if I wake up my kids, then I'm up. If I wake up my wife, it's like that scene in the old Jason and the Argonauts movie where the kraken rises from the sea. That's where I'm at right now. So I, I'm tiptoeing. Just, you just heel to toe, tiptoe, and there's nothing worse than when you're walking at night in the Lego, the demon-possessed Lego of doom and destiny. It never lands like in the arch of your foot. It never goes right under your toe where your toe can flex up. It always goes like it's been placed in the carpet by hatred and despair into the heel of your foot where the full 220 pounds of quiet desperation land upon it. And it sends the nerve right up to your spine and you look like one of those characters from a movie when their ghost is coming out of them where you're like, yeah! <laughs> this happens on a regular basis if you can't tell. My... And you say, well, how do you solve that? Well, you, you turn on the light dummy. You, you make it so you can see. You, you 
you finally cave into the marketing of the snap lights where you can literally take off your outlet plate and you put a new one on and it hooks into the screws. So when the sensor goes off every night, there's just a beautiful glow of LED glory preventing Lego destruction. Light. And the cool thing about light is wherever light goes, it's not like darkness can fight back. It's not like darkness says, I'm just going to hang out halfway and then I'll finally give in to light. No, where light goes, darkness moves. And spiritually, I see too many people walking around and their life is imploding. They're stepping on one of life's Legos after the other. And they're saying, why is my life not getting any easier? Why is my life consumed with this pain, with this brokenness, with what the Bible calls sin? Sin is not just the things that you do that make God mad and that make God grieve. Sin are the things that rip apart the fabric of how we were created to live. And every time we choose to walk in darkness, we are literally saying, we're positioning our lives saying, God, you've illuminated a path that I know will go better for me, but I have a feeling that this path will give me the happiness that I'm looking for. And we're walking down it in darkness and we're stepping on things in our life that are crushing us down. This is the message that God is light. In him there is no darkness. In God all is known, all is seen. All of our life can be known and brought to the cross, which is going to become very important for, for later because so many people hide their bad stuff. Um, there's, um, I, I call this process sin management. Every human being, when you sin, when you do something that grieves God, we all deal with our sin in the exact same way as Adam and Eve. And if you're a parent, you'll see this, or even if you just know another human being or yourself to see this. Adam and Eve did three things. This is it. Every single person on the world manages sin this way. It's one of these ways. Cover, hide, blame. Cover, hide, blame. When Adam and Eve took the fruit, and then Eve said, it's tasty. Adam, you want to bite? And he crisped into what we all call an apple. I don't think it was an apple. It was probably like one of those cactus fruits. And, um, and then he did it. And then all of a sudden they realized we broke relationship with God. We did what he didn't want us to do. So the first thing they did was they covered. They got leaves. And then they hid behind a bush. Like futile attempts. Covering with a leaf, A, not recommended, especially for beach days. B, playing hide and seek with the guy who just created the entire universe. Mm, not a smart move. But they, we cover, they hide. And then when God says, what are you guys doing? Adam goes, it's the woman you gave me. The woman goes, it's the snake you sent here. The snake said, yeah, boy. That's in the Hebrew. That's not. I made that up. But the other parts. <laughs> Watch next time somebody in your family sins. One of my kids runs to the bedroom. He, he does something. He knows dad's going to be mad. He runs to the bedroom. He covers himself. He's hiding. One of my kids the best blamer in the family. Uh-uh, it, wasn't, it was that kid, this kid, that kid. It's pretty much every kid except for her. I've got two girls now. Bella could blame somebody. Don't judge Savannah, judge McJudgersons. <laughs> but, but, but we've got these, the, the cover, the, I, I want to pretend like my sin didn't happen. I'm going to lie about it. I'm going to cover it up. Or I'm going to hide and just, I'm not even going to be seen because I feel so dirty, so ashamed, I can't even go outside. Or I'm going to blame every other person or experience around me and not take blame for myself. God's light frees us from that. 
so that we no longer have to cover because God will cover for us. If you don't know the story, it's in Genesis 3. It's a beautiful story to help sin management in your own life and in your marriage with your coworkers, with your kids. Um, If you're a coverer, if that's your first inclination, we always try to cover ourselves. But God had to give us a true and better covering. If you notice in the story, they cover themselves with leaves, but when they leave the garden, they're covered with animal skins, which means from the very beginning of Genesis, God is already pointing to a reality that your sin was so grave, some living thing had to die in order for you to continue to live. An animal sacrifice began. And Jesus is the true and better covering to the sacrificial system so that now we are literally clothed in Christ. Maybe you're the hider. You retreat when your life begins to fall apart. You hide in your house. You don't want to go out. You don't want to see friends. So you just... If God is light, he sees through your covering. He he sees your hiding place. And when you blame someone else, he doesn't just take the finger and terminate it on yourself. He says, yes, you did this, but I'm going to let you, after you realize how grave your situation is, point all of everything onto Jesus. That's what God did on the cross. So we don't have to cover, hide, and blame. And and we don't have to be the the church people who pick up rocks and cast them at others. That's what, uh, unfortunately, I've seen so many people that when God shines a light on an issue, uh, church people are notorious for picking up rocks and throwing them because we like to cast stones at people who sin differently from the way we sin. Instead of being what Jesus was to that woman in John 8, saying, there's anyone among you that has no sin, you throw the first stone. Ironically, the only person who could have thrown it was Jesus himself. But he did not, because he knew he was going to pay for the sin that she was ashamed of, pay for the sin that she was being swallowed by. It's amazing. If you can't be open about your brokenness here in this chapel, I mean, if you've been, if this is your first time, you may not get this. But the more you come, you'll realize that um, we are a, a very good representation, I believe, and we're growing, of amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like us. I've told the elders time and time again, um, some churches are for church people who are just looking for a church. I I want the chapel to be known as a church family who raises up maturing believers in Jesus and is constantly drawing in and attracting people who have A, never heard about the good news of Jesus, or B, have been burnt by the church, have have been just pressed down by shame and guilt and things that are not of God. And now it's amazing because now God is bringing more and more people that are broken and weary like I am and was and will be. And sometimes as a shepherd, I'm like, whoa, whoa, God, we're good on our quota right now. Send some healthy people. But no, it's not because that's a myth. There's no such thing as a healthy people. There's people that look healthy because they sin similarly to you and I. But we're not here to parse out sins. We're here to bring all weary people to the foot of the cross. Verse 7, but if, but if. I know I've said this before. I'll say it every single time. Right, let me just read the verse. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia, with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I like this, because this 
passage is so like, are you lying to yourself? Are you lying to yourself? Are you saying you believe in God, but you walk in darkness? Are you saying you don't sin, but you do sin? I like that, I like that God puts in the Bible, buts. And I like, and we call them here if you're new, we like when God puts a big butt in the Bible. We like big butts. We cannot lie. All you brothers and sisters cannot deny. I'm just seeing. I'm just seeing. I like it how like there's some people in here, like maybe if you're like older than 55 or 60, you're like, what is he talking about? And your daughter's next to you laughing like, ha, <laughs> It's like the most famous Carrie. Never mind. Okay, I'm going to carry we like big butts because this, this, but if we walk in the light. So the question is, if we want to be in God, the true way in God, not lying to ourselves, how do we walk in the light? What does it mean to walk in the light? First, we have fellowship with one another. We are connected to one another. It is much easier to walk in the darkness when you walk alone. If you want to begin asking yourself, how do we walk in the light? Part of it has to be walking with one another. This could be literal walking. This could be seeing somebody for coffee. The reason why I love the size of a church family we are right now is because if you want to get to know people, it is very, very easy. You can text me. You can email me. You could reach out to any of the elders that will pray for you after service. And we want to connect with you. We want to get to know you. And we have the capacity to do that because we believe that walking in the light happens in fellowship with one another. And then this very key phrase, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I, I don't like pastors that don't talk about the blood of Jesus. And some pastors even say, well, we don't talk about the blood at our church. And my question to them is, then what in the world are you talking about? Because without the sacrifice of Jesus, none of this matters. And it is only by the blood of Jesus that we are cleansed from how much sin, family? All sin. I'll tell you something. It's a trick. Uh, all means all, and that's all all means. We don't need to parse in our brains because some of us are defeated by the sin in our lives right now. We're thinking, thank you, Jesus, for paying for those sins, but now I've got these sins, and will you still die for these, and will you cleanse me from those sins that are coming? What does all mean? It means all. And that's all that all means. He has cleansed us and saved us from the penalty of our past sins. He is saving us currently from the power of our present sins, and he will one day in the future free us from the presence, presence, the, the embodiment of sin entirely. Cleansing is a past, present, and future reality. And here's how it works. You don't just say, I've got this thing broken in my life. I need to stop doing this. This is what we do with diets, which is why it rarely works. So, so for example, I've been like racking myself trying to be healthier. And it's not working very well. So I say, I'm going to stop eating carbs today. So here's the box of Ryan's Health. Take carbs, put them over here. I'm just going to drink a bunch of coffee. All of a sudden, it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Kids come home from school. They're packing their lunch boxes. There's just Cheez-Its everywhere. Granola bars. Z bars, applesauces. My wife comes home from Costco. There's turkey roll-ups. There's this, uh, I mean, talk about baiting me. She got a Costco-sized bag of something called Asian snack food. If you don't know, I'm half Asian. It's my Achilles 
peel. It's a bag full of wasabi peas, ginger crackers, carbohydrates. If I just take out carbs, my will breaks eventually, and I give in. You have to replace, you have to, you have to expel the bad thing by an obsession with a new thing, which is why the people that tend to succeed at health kicks are the ones that throw themselves into a new thing so much so they don't even have time for the old thing. And it works the same way spiritually. If you want to walk in the light, you throw yourself into light so that darkness is pushed out and you're not even thinking about it. Now you're going to say, how do you walk in the light? Is it about reading your Bible more, praying more? Yes, yes, yes. But I don't like the Christian cliche answers about that. Because people say, you want to grow in your walk with Jesus? What do you do? Are you, are you reading the Bible? Are you praying more? If you tell someone, I'm struggling with God, they'll say, well, how often are you reading the Bible? Or maybe even worse, maybe they'll do one of these numbers on you. Hey, uh, you're struggling with your walk with God. Um, are you reading the Bible as much as you watch Netflix? And they'll look at you with eyes of judgment. And you'll start calculating in your brain. You're like, well, I read two verses on Sunday during the sermon. And I just binge watched the last 20 seasons of Doctor Who. So no. But when we do that as followers of Jesus, I need us to see what's happening. When, if I said, are you reading the Bible as much as you're watching Netflix, which is what I've heard a lot of pastors say, oh, well, check your TV. And I'm, I, I'm, all, I'm all for this, by the way. I love my Bible. And I'm all for setting up disciplines for your Bible. But to say something like that, what you're doing is you're using shame. And I'll say what we're doing, clergy type, or maybe super holy Christian types. We're using shame, saying, ooh, you've been watching Netflix. You should read your Bible more and we're using shame to try to get you to read your Bible. Now, shame is a sin. Shame is not of God. We don't shame people into a better relationship with God, but it happens all the time in Christianity. Now, just, just think about that. I know how we can get someone to love Jesus more, get them to use and be leveraged by a sin that is just acceptable enough in Christianity. So all of a sudden, we have this fuel of shame, and it gets us to... Maybe read the Bible more for a week, maybe a year, maybe a lifetime. But that shame begins to eat away at your inside. And you're not doing it because you love Jesus. You're not doing it because you love the Word. You're doing it because you're ashamed of the way other people might perceive you. Or you're doing it because you're afraid of something in your life. But perfect love casts out all fear. You're doing it because you don't want to be looked down on by other followers of Jesus. But in Christ Jesus, there is therefore no condemnation. So how do we do it? What does it mean to walk in the light? I think it has to begin practically in verse 9. The verse we read together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to wipe away, to cancel the debt, our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It has to begin with this confession. And the confession is the admitting that we cannot help ourselves out of the mess that we've gotten in. The confession is saying, my, my life is broken. It is out of sync. I need help. And church has to be the place where we can do that in community with one another. And you might be thinking, I'm not in any community here. How do I do this? Do I have to confess to you? I'm not a priest. You don't confess to me. You don't call me Father Ryan unless your name is Jackson, Silas, Savannah, or Bella. But even then, I, I want to be dad or daddy. I don't even like being dad yet. I'm milking the daddy days. But you 
you ought to confess. First to Christ, and then to those who you sinned against. Some of you need to confess to your spouse. Some of you need to confess to your kids. I confess to my kids all the time, not because um, I, I want them to see just a dad confessing, because I genu- genuinely sin against them. When I get angry, I ask for their forgiveness, because the model that I want my kids to see is not one of dad is always right, but that dad messes up often, but Jesus is always right for him. The model I want to see is not one of us cover, hiding, and blaming constantly, but finally learning to know that I don't have to cover my sin because here in this family, when God puts light into our life, we have people that will come alongside you and say, I'm still here. You don't have to blame others because here in this family, we'll have people that will point and say, yeah, you are pretty bad. You blew it. But cheer up because that means God loved you more than you ever could imagine before. We're in the midst of this thing. We're going to refresh the whole chapel because it's getting old. Part of that refresh is just to make spaces for us to gather. If you need to connect, and you're, if it is your first time or your hundredth time, you can text me. You can come up here after service. The elders are up here. Get to know some of them and their wives. Don't leave without at least trying to press into some of that koinonia fellowship. This is a place where you can finally be free. Let's pray. Father, Uh, You are good, and your love endures forever. I pray, Lord, that you would shine your light so brightly into our lives that our hearts would melt with love and affection for you. I thank you for the way that you've loved me. I thank you that you've raised up a church family that is pressing into your truths of living with shame at the cross, and we're done with shame, living with condemnation left at the cross, done with condemnation. God, that we are free to love and live and serve you and love others as you've loved us. You're so good to us. Thank you. We love you. I'll talk to you soon.